0: Good morning, thank you Nita, lovely to see you all this morning, just an update from last week, many of you gave really generously to our fellowship fund. And we raised last week just over 5,000 pounds for people who are struggling, who are part of our church family. There's about two grand of that that's just gone straight out to people who also said I'm in need for different things in particular. Um, just a reminder, if you did pledge last week, you can follow through on the online, so you go on the website. And when you get to the drop-down menu, just select Fellowship Fund, because then we know it's ring-fenced for that. You can do the same at the tap to give at the back, if circumstances have changed, or you felt like in a moment of panic, you had to give last week, and now you've realized you can't give, please don't give, don't worry about it at all. If um, you didn't, or you weren't there last week, or you didn't come up and say, this is my need, um, this is what I need help for, you can still do that. So we would love you to come and tell us. If you could just email me, which is ben at we'll process it, and there's a panel, but to be honest, with the giving that we had from last week, we're just going to give that straight back out so if you are struggling and you do have a need please do tell us because obviously there's another three grand in there we would love that just to flow straight back out rather than us having to ring fence it just in addition to those jobs that we have going here at St Peter's that's all linked to something I spoke about a few weeks ago which is about us wanting to support some church grafts that are happening the first of which is happening at St James in Kibbrook in fact Chris Dom and Alice are there this morning for the first time. So Kim Hitch, who was the previous vicar there, um, retired last week. And Chris, Dom, and Alice have gone to lead the service there, so do be praying for them. Go and visit them, and please go and visit and say hi to them, support them as they get going. And we're going to be talking lots more about St. James Kidbrook as we go. And for some of us here, God will be calling us to go and support that church graph, so we'll talk more about that. But there's another church that we're supporting in Forest Hill in Sydenham called Holy Trinity, led by Ben and Lydia Strain. They also have a couple of jobs going. Um, They're on our website too, so that's a part-time worship leader. And also part-time kids and families workers. So please do look at that as well. And to be honest, we'll probably combine the pool. Who, people who apply here will also um, lead on to the jobs going there. Because we want it really us to be one and the same and to support each other in that way. So please do do that. This morning, I want to finish off a series that we started before the vision talks that we had a couple of weeks ago. And it was pertaining to what it means to be church's body. So if you remember, we taught from 1 Corinthians and also from Ephesians and from elsewhere, we talked about the fact that we are here as one body. And in particular, I taught from 1 Corinthians 12 from a passage that says every part of the body has to play its part in order for the body to be healthy and whole, and that we all bring different gifts, we all bring different passions to church, that if we don't give to the church so as to contribute to the common good, we miss out on as a church, and so therefore for all of us here we are having a part to play in the body of the church which is very exciting and I'm going to talk this morning about the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, which Neith has just read out. But just before I do, I just want to outline just a distinction between perhaps some of the more natural gifts that we might bring to the church and some of these supernatural gifts that I'm going to talk about this morning. People often think, well, what's the difference between the supernatural and the natural gifts when it comes to church and being a part of the body? Well, funnily enough, it's actually not the fact that it contributes to the common good, although both gifts and passions do. It's about the building up and the encouragement of the church as a whole. What makes them spiritual really? Because let's be honest, you could be a part of a community center or community group that wants to use gifts and passions to contribute to the common good. That would make them no different to a church. What makes it a spiritual gift is who's glorified in the process. And so as we give our gifts and our passions to the church, as we build each other up and encourage it, what makes it spiritual is that Jesus is glorified. It's not about us, and we lift our eyes off ourselves, and instead we give them as a gift to glorify God. However, there are some gifts that we're going to be looking at this morning that are out and out supernatural. You probably wouldn't find them at your local community center. You wouldn't find them at your local community group being practiced, and they are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want to say before we go through them one by one is these gifts of the Holy Spirit should be absolutely normal for us in church. They should be normal for us as a Christian as we go about our day-to-day lives. They should be normal for us in our villages. They should be normal for us during our times with God in the day, throughout our day as we go to work. We should expect to see these gifts of the Holy Spirit happen and practice in everything that we do. And it was normal for this church that Paul's writing to here in Corinth. In fact, it gotten so normal for these gifts to be practiced that it had all gone a little bit off whack. And when, if you were to walk into the church in Corinth at the time when Paul wrote this letter, you wouldn't be able to understand very much of it. It would be pretty incomprehensible. There'd be lots of going. You'd probably walk in and think, this is very powerful. God is clearly doing something very powerful. Or you'd probably walk straight back out and say, those guys are absolutely nuts I want nothing to do with them and so Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and saying I don't want you to be uninformed about these gifts I want you to know about these gifts but I want you to do them decently and in order he sums up the whole passage in chapter 14 by saying that do all of these things I encourage all of these things but do them decently in an order now that is not to be interpreted as don't do them at all because they lead to disorder and disunity? Not at all. Some churches interpret it that way. That is not the case. The emphasis is on done. All of these things are to be done, but just do them decently and in order. So we should expect these things to be happening in our church as we gather. So Paul starts off here in verse 1. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about these spiritual gifts. So just say to yourself now, am I uninformed about the spiritual gifts? Have a look at yourself. Maybe look down in your lap awkwardly. Am I uninformed about the spiritual gifts? Are you? No? You might be uninformed because you don't go to church. You're just checking God out. This is your first experience of church. That's absolutely normal. Why would you be informed about these sorts of things? If that is you, you are here on your own terms. You can be here. You can just observe. You can check out what's going on. You don't need to worry too much. My prayer for you is that as you're a part of us as a worshiping community, that you experience the presence of God, that you experience what we've just been praying about and singing about there, is that you know that you are loved for who you are. That you needn't bring shame. That you can be forgiven by Jesus. You experience the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Some of us, though, might be uninformed because perhaps we're from churches that have never talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, they've been avoided. Partly because they're maybe a little bit awkward. Partly because we don't really want to emphasize them because they tend to put people off and people get confused by them. Or even, in some cases, partly because we might be from a more conservative tradition. And either we've believed some wrong teaching which says that the gifts of the spirit died out when the apostles all died or we've not wanted to approach it because it's not decent it's not in order and it tends to go a little bit wacko and off whack if we were to celebrate them now Paul says to those people us people those who would come from that perspective do not be uninformed don't be uninformed about the spiritual gifts it's important for us to know about them. Some of us may be uninformed because we think that the charismatic churches, that's gifts that emphasize the charisma, which I'll talk a bit about in a second, are actually all about worship that's led by a band with a drum kit and with a keyboard and with an acoustic guitar. Often that tends to be how charismatic churches are um, thought of in Christendom, if you like. Can I just say that the gifts of the Spirit have absolutely nothing to do with worship style. We could be singing hymns from the 12th century and still be a charismatic church, still have the gifts of the Spirit practiced among us. It's got nothing to do with the worship. So what are they all about? What are the gifts of the Spirit? Well, the gifts of the Spirit are supernatural abilities given as gifts of grace to us as the body by God. It's important to emphasize the grace. So these gifts are given to us as a gift from God, not because we're particularly holy Christians, not because we have it all together, not because we've been playing the game for a long time. Gifts of grace, charisma, that's what it means. A gift of grace given to us by God. That means that if we aren't here to be holy or special and he therefore distributes them, Paul says in verse 11, as he determines. This is God. God. Giving us his gifts so that, and we'll talk about this in a second, the body might be built up. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, there is no way I am Christian enough to receive a gift of the Holy Spirit, that's wrong. It's just not right. It's a gift of grace, as is everything else in the Christian life. Do any of us here deserve forgiveness from God? Absolutely not. Do any of us here think that the fruits of the Holy Spirit abide in us, grow in us by any means other than the grace of God? No. It's as we abide in the vine that we notice the fruits of the Spirit grow. Joy, peace, patience, love, kindness. Same with the gifts of the Spirit. They're given as gifts of grace by God. So what is their purpose? Well, the first we've touched on. Their purpose, verse 3, is that Jesus is declared as Lord they point to the person of Jesus. They are about glorifying him. They are tastes, if you like, of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is how it's going to be when Jesus is king. Jesus is always ki- is already king. We That's because of what he's done on the cross, because of his resurrected life. But we are in what the Bible thinks of as the now and the not yet. We are working towards Revelation 21, when the fullness of the presence of God will be here in its entirety. And there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more mourning, because the old order of things will have passed away. And God will come and he will say, behold, I am making all things new. However, we live in the now and the not yet because all things don't feel like heaven all of the time. It doesn't feel like Jesus is king all of the time. And so therefore, the gifts of the Spirit are tastes of the kingdom reality as we live out our Christian life. But they are there to glorify Jesus and Jesus alone, so, for example, if you were to go to a Christian conference, often what you'll find is Christian conferences will book a person to speak, if they're a charismatic conference, who might be particularly good at one of the gifts, might be someone who's particularly good at prophecy. And so they'll get up and there'll be thousands of people there and they'll come and they'll give their talk and then they'll give some words of prophecy and people will spring up and go, that's for me, that's incredibly accurate. And then at the end, what you'll probably notice is there's a long queue for this particularly gifted person to prophesy over thousands of people in the conference. Can I just say, that is not the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit isn't to give the impression that there are the special few who can do them, who are particularly gifted at them. And if anyone is doing that, they are not actually um, hosting, if you like, or, or uh, utilizing the gift that God has given them, because they are supposed to train us to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Someone who's particularly good at prophecy is supposed to train everybody else in the church to be particularly good at prophecy so that we all play our part. And in a similar way, um, Paul also talks in 1 Corinthians 14 about their evangelistic use. So it's pointing to Jesus as Lord, not us as the gifted person of the gift. But also... They're evangelistic in their use, and as you look in one Corinthians fourteen, you see that he has this debate uh, with the church in Corinth. Um, essentially, what happened there is the gift of speaking in tongues had been elevated above all the other gifts, and it was completely unintelligible. And his argument is: imagine if a non-believer walks into the back of church and hears all of you babbling in tongues, they're going to leave again, and they're not going to be told or know about the person of Jesus and his work on the cross and his resurrected life. And so he says, when you practice the gifts of the Spirit, make sure that they're intelligible that doesn't mean we don't do them it means that we try our best to explain them so first purpose is to declare Jesus the second purpose verse 7 is for the common good says in the passage now that phrase there means to bring together so when he talks about the common good the gifts of the spirit are to bring us together as the body so therefore they encourage they build up and they help bring us and bind us together they're not to be divisive And in the church in Corinth, they have become divisive because you were either special and spoke in tongues the whole time or you weren't. And that's why he puts chapter 13 in the middle of 12 and 14, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. What's 13 all about? It's all about love. It's all about the fact that we are to be bound together by the love of Jesus. So, That's what they are. That's the purpose. Let's look at some of the specific gifts. And then if it's all right, what we're going to do afterwards is we're going to have a go at practicing some of them. So let's go through one by one. We're going to start at the end of the list, actually, and it will come up on the screen behind me. Let's start with speaking in different kinds of tongues, which is (laughs) verse 10 there what is speaking in tongues this is overemphasized in the church in corinth this if you look at the rest of paul's teaching is the only gift of the spirit given for our own benefit it edifies us Paul says. And so therefore, it's something that he would said. I hope that you all speak in tongues so that you too can be edified. And when we speak in tongues, we are speaking to God. The direction is from us to God. Prophecy, which we'll talk about in a second, is from God to us. Tongues, speaking in tongues, singing in tongues, praying in tongues is from us to God. And the purpose of that gift of the Holy Spirit is to help us to express something that goes beyond the limits of rational human language. So you know when you're really sad and all you can do is groan. You don't have any words to express how sad you're feeling. We're given the gift of tongues so that we can express our feelings to God in that moment. Or you know if you're really happy and all you can do is squeal in delight. You've got no words to express how happy you are. We're given the gift of tongues to express our joy and our emotion to God in that moment. And so it's an incredibly important gift to receive for our own prayer life because let's face it, every single one of us in this room, we're emotional beings, aren't we? We feel deeply about things, the particular things that you feel particularly deep about. And the gift of tongues is a beautiful gift given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can express those innermost feelings that goes beyond the limits of the human language. Um, few, many examples, like, we, um number of weeks ago, actually, in the evening service, and you'll notice this happens sometimes in the morning too, we'll be uh, worshiping, we'll be praising God, and there'll be a moment where the worship leader might say, or the service leader might say, why don't we have a go at singing in tongues? And the reason we do that is that sometimes we get to a point in worship where it feels like the words that we're singing aren't adequate enough to be able to express our praise and love to Jesus in that moment. And we say, well, let's try singing in tongues together, because then it enables us to be able to worship him good beyond the limits of the song um, that's written down on the screen behind us. And so you'll notice that that is a brilliant time and a brilliant use of the gift of tongues. Sometimes what we'll find is we're singing in tongues, as things kind of calm down, that somebody just carries on and has a pretty loud um, kind of song in tongues after that moment. And when that happens, Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians 14, we're supposed to have that interpreted. So the other week in the evening service, we had a time of singing in tongues together. It was absolutely beautiful. It sounded stunning. And then as it kind of ebbed away, somebody just started singing in tongues really loudly. And it was remarkable. It's one of the most remarkable singing in tongues I've ever heard in my life. It's like I had a verse and a chorus and a verse and then a chorus again. It was a full song in tongues. But of course, all of us standing there, we're like, that's beautiful. But it doesn't really mean much to us. It clearly means something to the person who's given it. So then we say, well, who's got the interpretation for that public tongue? And then somebody else, Brian, actually came up. Brian, you here? Brian came up, and he had the interpretation for it, and it was a passage from Song of Solomon. And as he read it, we're all listening to this passage from Song of Solomon, which is a love song between the person and God, or actually it's a love song between two people, but it's indicative of a love song between the person and God, and it was exactly right for the song that we just heard. And it was beautiful, because then we could all participate and appreciate what had just happened. So, speaking in tongues. Then also interpretation of tongues, as we've just talked about. There's third one, message of knowledge. Let me just read where that is. So, verse 7, verse 8, sorry. It's one that's given through the spirit message of wisdom, we'll get to that. To another, a message of knowledge. Now this is where God reveals something about someone that they couldn't possibly know. So the Holy Spirit gives somebody a message of knowledge for somebody else that they couldn't possibly no. For example, um, in a pre-service prayer meeting a number of weeks ago, we asked for words of knowledge so that we could share them in the service. And somebody had a word of knowledge that there's somebody coming to the service that evening who was considering cutting their hair because they thought that it would give them confidence. And the message was, this is what you're thinking of doing, but God alone can give you confidence, right? Pretty weird. Let's face it, if you get a message like that, in fact, if that pops into your head, you're probably thinking that won't be me, that'll be... Anyway, we shared it in the service and we, we had a number of them. So I just reeled them off in the service, a number of different ones. Well, we found out a number of weeks later that somebody came to that service who was considering that week to cut their hair because they were feeling particularly down and they wanted to do it because it reminded them of a time when they were particularly happy. And can you imagine what that felt like when she heard that word of knowledge? She came up and she got ministered to and she experienced the Holy Spirit and it was beautiful. That's a great example of the words of knowledge, the gift of the words of knowledge. We had another time, um, not too... Uh, long ago, Andrew and I had just had a breakfast down by Broccoli Station, and we walked back up, and the church was being used for a John Lewis advert at the time, which is lovely for people like Andrew, because it means you've got a bunch of non-Christians in the vicinity of the church who can't get away. In fact, they're paid to be here. So Andrew sees that as an opportunity to target them and give them words from God and pray for them. Anyway, the security card is standing by the door, and as we walk up to her... Andrew gets the words of knowledge for her and he says to her, listen, this is going to sound really strange, but I work for this church here and I feel like God has said that there is a disagreement between your mother and your sister and you feel caught in the middle of it and that God wants to encourage you that he's given you the gift to be a peacemaker. Instantly, she doesn't start crying. She starts swearing at us at the top of her voice. Can't stop it. Shouting at us, swearing at us. So obviously, we realize that's a spot on word, and we get chatting to her. It wasn't bad swearing. It was like, how do you know that kind of swearing? We start chatting to her, and we talk to her, and it's exactly what's going on in her family at the moment. She feels caught in the middle. And then we actually offered to pray for her that she would feel God's peace so that she could be a peacemaker. And she said no. But I bet you she remembers that word for the rest of her life. And I bet you when there's another Christian who happens to come across her or she happens to stumble in church at some point, I bet you she goes back to that and says, I remember when God showed me that he knows me and that he loves me and that he cares about the intimate details of my life. This is why we hunger after these gifts, because they are remarkable in terms of people experiencing the kingdom of God and us as a church experiencing the kingdom of God. So that's message of knowledge. Second, message of wisdom this is often linked to prophecy which we'll get to in a second so you might get a prophetic word often people see pictorially so they'll see a picture and they'll share it as a prophetic word a message of wisdom often is actually interpretation of a picture or interpretation of something that God might have given us in a poetic type of form and so they will say well here I feel like God has given me wisdom for that particular prophetic word does that make sense Um, It's actually the only time it's mentioned here in the New Testament, so we don't know loads about it, but that's probably what it is. It could also be a godly form of normal wisdom. So you know people who are just particularly wise. In fact, people can be particularly wise, but not particularly old or experienced. Have you met those kind of people? They probably have the gift of wisdom, and it's a spiritual gift. It's a gift given to them by God. Okay, next one, gift of faith. So this isn't saving faith. This isn't the kind of faith that we have as we become Christians. Instead, this is often linked to stepping out in faith for something of the kingdom of God. So there'll be particular people in our church who are particularly gifted with faith. That probably means that they're good at taking big leaps of faith in their life or in the church or on behalf Of other people. A person who definitely has this in our congregation is Chris Gaul. You all know Chris Gaul. He's over at St. James Kidbrook at the moment, but he has the gift of faith. He does strange things, like goes on holiday and doesn't take any money or a credit card because he feels like God has told him to rely on him for the holiday. Who else does that? Who does that? Nobody does that. Chris Gaul does that. He's got the gift of faith. In fact, he was going to buy a car the other day because his car, they've sold it, and so he's borrowing our car to to go view this other car that, for all intents and purposes, on paper, looked like the right car for him to buy and as he's walking up the road to collect the key from me to get in our car to go see this other car God he feels like God tells him don't buy the car so any normal, normal ones of us would say, that can't be God, I need a car, get the key, go get the car. Chris decides that he's not going to get the car, so he gives the key back to me and says, Ben, God's told me not to get the car. So he goes home, Sarah says to him, well, I'm going out because I'd arranged something because you were supposed to be going to get a car, so why don't you go for coffee? So Chris goes for coffee, he ends up sitting next to somebody who he hasn't seen for 27 years, he was a part of his church growing up, and he gets in a conversation with that person, turns out they stopped going to church recently, and their whole faith has crumbled as a result because of something that happened that was really wrong in church, and Chris spoke to them about what church should really be like and who God really is, and that person ended the conversation by going, well, I should probably go back to church again. It's amazing, right? The fruit of the gift of faith as we follow these little promptings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, next one, healing, supernatural healing. We talk about that a lot here. We practice that a lot here. We're going to pray for healing This morning, again, a brilliant taste of the kingdom of God, because in the kingdom, Revelation 21, when the fullness of God is here in its entirety, we will not need the gift of healing, because we will be healed, because in the kingdom of God, there won't be the need for it. And so it's the healing of diseases and infirmities for the glory of God. We've had a number of healings here recently that have been really exciting. Cherry got healed. Cherry, you here? She's in youth. Great. Okay, good. Cherry says she had restless leg syndrome for a long time and came up for prayer, for healing. And I could see her leg um, going as she was being prayed for, instantly stopped as the person prayed. And she she was struggling to sleep because of it. She hasn't had it since, and it's been two months now instant healing there. Rob had arthritic knees, our caretaker Rob, many of you know him, and he was at a conference, and somebody prayed for him, and he felt a relief from the rheumatism in his knees, and he's carried on praying for that, and now he's completely pain-free. He's got no problems in his knees whatsoever, and he'll show you. If you ask him, He can bend down, do a bunch of stuff that he couldn't do before. A lot of fun, and had a good one this week at the food bank. Somebody who, are they Christian? No, somebody who wouldn't say they were a Christian, but um, complained to Anne of something that was wrong in their body. Be careful when you do that with Anne. And so her offer was, well, let me pray for that. And so she prayed for her, and this person was healed. And she came back the next week and said it's been gone since. So that's healing. Miraculous powers. This is probably referring to power over supernatural evil. Um, It's also referring to some of the miracles that you see In the New Testament, particularly in Jesus, in the Gospels, so feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, that sort of thing. Who wants that gift? I want that gift. There's some brilliant stories of provision of food in miraculous ways. It doesn't tend to happen in the West because we don't tend to need food in the same way, but I have a friend who was running um, a church in... I'm going to say Uganda, I think it was Uganda, and he's running this church in Uganda, and they ran out of food as a result of um, just the overwhelming need in the community of people coming to this church, and he tells this story where he's stirring this big pot of rice, and he's saying to God, this is one of the last bowls that we're going to give out, but the line is going out of the door, you're going to have to do something here, God, and as he's turning the spoon, he says like this rice is just tumbling over the spoon as he's looking. And they had enough food to feed the whole rest of the line of the people who come. There's loads of stories like that. We tend to have less of those kind of stories here. We're going to need it for the food bank, just so you know. Um, God might provide it through our giving, but we've had a particularly financial very generous church, HCB, have been giving us a lot of money to give towards our food bank and the the need in our food bank is overwhelming. But they are starting to ebb that support away. They've been doing it for years. um, They're loosely linked to us and it's very generous that they are doing it anyway. They're starting to stop that. And so as a church, we're going to have to step up. Either God's going to do it miraculously, or more likely, we're going to have to up our giving so as to provide the food for the people who need it in our area. But it could also um, refer to power over supernatural evil. Can I just say something? Just uh, We're here, we church family. We've had a number of words recently that deliverance prayer is going to become um, more significant and more needed in our church uh, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, in the coming year. Now deliverance is helping people through the power of prayer get delivered from supernatural evil and find freedom as a result and we need the gift of deliverance we need the gift uh, the supernatural gift of miraculous powers in order to be able to see that come about so please do be praying for that, okay, getting to the last two and then we'll have a go. Prophecy, this is the ability to communicate an immediate message from God to a group or to an individual in the group when we're gathered together in worship. But it could happen anywhere. It could happen in our small groups. It could happen on the streets. It could happen in our work places. The purpose, Paul says, of prophecy is to strengthen, to encourage, and comfort. So if you think God has given you a prophetic word and it doesn't strengthen the person, it doesn't comfort, it doesn't build them up, can we not share it? It's probably not from God. That is the purpose of prophecy, to strengthen, to comfort, to build up. At this church, we tend to avoid marriages, births, and deaths for obvious reasons. We don't prophesy into those sorts of things. Um, But we love to to have prophecy here. So we will often have times, won't we, where we have people who have prophetic words. And I think we'll follow the talk with that, with words of knowledge, and then we'll pray into them. And they do strengthen, they do encourage, they do comfort. Has anyone ever here, uh, here ever had a prophetic word that strengthened, encouraged, or comforted them? Wonderful. Brilliant. We want to see that all the time. And it's a really easy gift to have, it really is. And God loves it. Paul says later on, I want you all to prophesy. Um, We had a recent word here about the credit card. Did I tell you about that word? coming back off the summer, I actually felt slightly overwhelmed by the idea of doing all these church grass and plants. It felt like it was a massive stretch for us as a church for a number of different reasons. And there was a particular service and I came and I was sitting down during worship and I was saying to God, I feel totally overwhelmed by this. I don't think we're going to be able to do it practically, but also um, spiritually, emotionally, I don't think we'll be able to hold this. And then we had a guest speaker and halfway through his talk, he just stopped his talk and said, Ben, I have a prophetic word for you as a church. I see a credit card. And what I feel like God is saying to you is you need to spend the credit card, and he's going to make up the difference. It's going to feel like a stretch, but if you go for it, he will meet you where your need is, which I think was a direct word of prophecy for us as a church, so worth praying about that. Keeping that in mind, final one, distinguishing between spirits. Again, this is the only time this is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's really to distinguish, it's a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit to distinguish the, motifying, the motivating sorry, spirit behind words or actions. Often it's common sense. That, for example, use the test. Does it strengthen? Does it encourage? Does it build up? If it doesn't, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Um, and also remember chapter 13, all about love. Does it glorify God or does it glorify the person giving it? Again, that's distinguishing between spirits. Sometimes that's a little bit harder, so this is less common now, but um, there might be somebody here who's part of our church, might even be a Christian, but they've been involved in a cult activity before, and they're finding it hard to distinguish between what's the Holy Spirit and what are the kind of spirits that they were involved in before. And we can have the gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern between the two. I don't think that's particularly hard, if I'm honest. Okay, so... Before we do it, how do we receive them? We ask. What does Paul say? He says, eagerly desire. Jesus says when he teaches us to pray, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit who gives these gifts to those who ask? So you want some of the gifts? We ask for them. And that's what we're going to do right now. So let's stand. Okay, let's shut our eyes so we're not distracted. Which of those would you like?